0: Now, can we praise the Lord? I, I did this in the 9 a.m. too, but can we praise the Lord for uh, the worship team and how they serve us so well every week? Yeah. And particularly for Jalen and his leadership, uh, because w- what you see up here is, is, you know, a half an hour every Sunday, but this guy works tirelessly to both select songs and put them together. And you're gonna see like what we just sang is exactly what we're just gonna preach. <clears throat> I really can't talk. Wow, that was, <clears throat> I'm not emotional. I'm hoarse right now. I was just like hollering. So let's praise the Lord for Jalen. Can we do that? Yeah, thanks. <clears throat> and praise the Lord for Zach. Yeah, amen, yeah, yeah. There right, well. go. In other less important news, um, hey, for those of you that um, are, look, up on me all the time about only looking nice for uh, First Baptist when I go and preach over there, get up off me. That's right. Like, <laughs> I know haters going to hate, though, so uh, I figured i served serve my gospel hope peeps this morning. That's Easter, Luke. That's Easter, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Be back. Be back. Some people are Christmas and Easter creaster Christians. I'm like Priester Thai people. So yeah. So. Hey, I'm excited this morning to dive back into the book of Numbers. I know you never thought you'd hear a preacher say that, but it's true. Um, actually, in this series, I haven't had the opportunity to preach yet. So I'm really excited to dive into this in the wilderness and see how God. Uh, what he has in store for us this morning. And I I think he wants to meet us, honestly. Um, As I was working through this passage of scripture, man, the Lord was deeply ministering to my heart. And, And I can't help but think that there are folks here this morning that right now, in this moment, God has a word for you from the scripture. And he wants to challenge you to lean in. So I want to talk this morning from the title of the message, Someone You Should Know. So let's pray and ask for God's help, and let's get into it this morning. Lord, hallelujah, we are not alone. You are our comfort. You are our Father. You are our friend. I pray this morning that you would help us to know you. Would you open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law? Would you incline our hearts towards understanding? Lord, would you hide me behind the cross of Christ? In his precious name we pray, amen. As uh, many of you know, our oldest son, Ian, we just sent him off to college in the fall. And um, man, that's not for the faint of heart, by the way. For those of you that are parents, when they go to college, there's part of you that's like, yep, you can go now. And part of you that like, man, that is a rough moment. Well, as we've interacted with Ian over the last several uh, weeks through text and phone calls and through his mother on Instagram, um, we've noticed all these names keep coming up, all these names of people, oh, I was, I was over at the gym with so-and-so, and we went out to eat with so-and-so, and he's just listing off all these people, and what was really interesting about it is they're mostly girls. I don't know how to unpack that right now, but that's true. But then this last week, Trisha and I and the crew got a chance to go up and visit Ian. And so all of a sudden, all these names that he had been mentioning became people. And we shook their hands and they came up to our hotel room and we sat out and ate lunch with them and we walked around the campus together. I bring that up because we all know instinctively, right, that there is a profound difference between knowing that someone exists and having a personal relationship with them, Right? Like we've all felt that in some way. And that is not only true of human relationships, but it is true of our relationship with the Lord as well. You see, here's the idea. Knowing about God is not the same thing as knowing God. Just knowing facts about the Lord is not the same thing as knowing him personally. And this principle was critical for the children of Israel at this stage in their wilderness journey in Numbers 20 and 21. Now, remember, I have to give a little backstory so we get up to speed here. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God delivered his people with a mighty hand. He sent the plagues and and allowed them to cross the Red Sea. So this generation was delivered by the Lord. Then they get to the brink of the promised land, are about to go in. They send the spies in. The spies say, you can't take it. And so God threatens judgment and punishment on all those Israelites who didn't believe God. Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. None of the men who have seen my glory and the signs that I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these 10 times and did not obey me will ever enter the land that I swore to give their ancestors. None of them who have despised me will see it. So this generation that went out into Egypt, they didn't make it to the promised land. And so years passed Approximately 38 years between that point and numbers 20 and 21, 38 years have gone by and slowly but surely that whole generation dies off, leaving their bodies in the wilderness. Then we come to this story. And for these roughly 38 years have passed, what it means is basically Israel has totally turned over now. The people that are alive now and standing on the brink of the promised land either had not even been born when the exodus happened or were very young when it happened. You get the point there. Like they didn't see the crossing of the Red Sea or they were, had to be carried across. They weren't there when God sent the plagues. This is a whole new generation. So there is a, they, there is a danger here going on. Here's the danger. It is quite possible that these folks who had wandered around in the wilderness, they knew knew about the Lord, maybe even a great deal about the Lord without knowing him personally, never having experienced God for themselves. I think this remains an important concept for us today, particularly here in the South, where everybody's uncle was a preacher and everybody had a grandma that took them to Sunday school. The idea is simply this, church. You cannot inherit a relationship with Jesus. You cannot inherit a relationship with Jesus. You can inherit your eye color from your mama and your hair texture from your dad. You can have your grandfather's disposition. You can have your grandmother's talent. But you cannot inherit their faith. That you must reckon for yourself. What is more, God is not simply a set of facts to be learned. He is a person to be experienced. God is not just some sort of data points on a spreadsheet. God is a living, acting person who desires to have a relationship with you. Then, if this is accurate, which it is, if you are truly to know God, look, the Bible then must become your Bible. The faith must become your faith. The gospel must become your gospel and the Lord must become your Lord. He can't be an abstraction. He can't be your parents' God or your your grandparents' God. He must be your God, which leads me to my point this morning. We must not only know God theologically, but experience him personally. God doesn't just want you to know him theologically. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's unimportant to know about God. You have to know about God. You cannot really know God without knowing about him. But what I am arguing this morning is knowing about God is not the same thing as knowing God. It's not sufficient. Knowing facts about God is not sufficient to give you a relationship with him. You might be listening and you say, okay, Ryan, I'm with you. But how do we pursue that? How do we move from knowing about God to actually... Knowing God well enter numbers twenty and twenty one remember this is this new generation they didn't experience the exodus they weren't there at the Red Sea. so what does God do to make up this experience gap in their life? How does God show him show them who He is freshly and profoundly well in these passages, on two separate occurrences, God reveals Himself to His people, once in Numbers 20 and once in Numbers 21. And I think the reason God does this is because He wants them to have a firsthand experience and encounter with Him. And I want you to not miss something. When the Lord shows up in both of these passages, He does it when His people are in a time of deep distress. As I was reflecting on our current world, I couldn't help but think, oh, maybe there's some parallel there. It seems over the last two years, our whole entire world has been in deep distress, has it not? I mean, everything feels upside down. Uh, This pandemic has made our thought process and decision-making topsy-turvy. Have you ever experienced during these last couple years just a low-grade frustration? Can I get a witness? Have you felt emotion seemingly coming out of nowhere and smacking you upside the head? Where did that come from? Have you felt a cloud of doubt and uncertainty hanging over virtually every decision? Have you felt despairing, depressed, paralyzed, fearful, nervous, anxious, you name it? Is it possible, is it possible that God has brought this series of Events, this pandemic into our world because God also wants us to have a fresh experience of Him? That God wants us to live not on secondhand faith, but to have Him show up freshly and uniquely in our lives? Is it possible that the Lord has brought us into our own wilderness to show us who He is once again? So, who is this God of the wilderness? How did he show himself in the book of Numbers? And perhaps, how is he showing himself to us today? I'd like to just highlight two things about the God of the wilderness today. And I think maybe he wants you to know him. The first thing, the first way that the God of the wilderness reveals himself is this. The God of the wilderness is the abundant provider. In Numbers 20, the people of Israel again complained against Moses and ultimately against the Lord himself. Why? Because they had no water. Numbers chapter 20, verse number four. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into the wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? So the Lord responds to his people's cry by giving Moses these instructions. Verse number eight, take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield water. What's interesting about this is virtually the exact same thing happened several chapters before. Actually, you go back at the beginning of the wilderness wanderings, and in Exodus chapter 17, a very, very similar story occurs. Look there, Exodus chapter 17, verse number 5. But I want you to notice one distinction. Take the staff. Okay, that's the same. You struck the Nile within your hand and go. And I'm gonna stand there in front of you at the rock. Okay, so there's a staff and a rock, same thing so far. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. So in the first episode, God tells Moses to do what? Hit the rock. Hit the rock. Okay, hit the rock. In the second episode, God tells Moses to do what? Speak to the rock. Now, this is going to become important in just a moment. You'll see. First episode, God says what? Let the rock. Second episode, God says? Speak to the rock. All right. So Moses goes. He follows the Lord's command. He's got the staff in his hand. I'm not exactly sure why God told him to take the staff. I'm not, actually. He takes the staff in his hand. He shows up in front of the rock. And sadly, after all of these years, Moses' tank is on E. His patience gauge is pointing to fed up to here. And he doesn't do what God says this time. He disobeys the Lord and he doesn't speak to the rock. In fact, he kind of flies into a rage. Look at verse number 10 of Numbers 20. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring out water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice not once that went enough with his staff so abundant water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank now i want you to notice two things here two i want to make two observations about this the first thing is this everybody probably more accurately everybody is behaving badly in this scenario everybody there is no good guys here Not only had the Lord performed this exact same miracle in the past, but for the last 40 years, six out of seven days a week, had the Lord provided for his people. Yes or no? Yes, every day. He gave them manna. And here they are again after like this repeat miracle. Like he's like, I've already done this. They're complaining again. It's like the Lord here is the ultimate Rodney Dangerfield. How many of you know who Rodney Dangerfield is? And Rodney Dangerfield's famous line is, no respect. God's getting no respect here. It's like, what else do I have to do? I've done this water act before. I've given you manna every single day and now you're complaining again about the same thing that I've showed myself strong on before. And what is more, not only are the people complaining, but God's ace in the hole. Moses, the most meek man on earth, this this pillar of patience, he loses it too. And yet, And yet, it reminds us of a very critical principle. It's namely this. Faithlessness leads to forgetfulness. say, what do you mean by that, Ryan? When we approach God with a heart of unbelief, we are so prone to forget all that he's done in our lives before. If I could use a bit of an analogy, it's like when we put on the lenses of unbelief, when we put on the lenses of faithlessness, it's as if we get very short-sighted. All we can see is right in front of us and we can't see back all the ways that God has been kind. Any parents in here? And so sometimes my kids, when they're a little bit hungry, when we've waited a little bit longer than normal to eat, they act like I've never fed them before. And it's like, kids, you are alive. And every single day, you get three hots in a cot. And you're complaining like, like you think in some ways, I'm not going to feed you. Can you identify? We start to approach the Lord with this doubt, this unbelief in our hearts, and we forget all of the ways that he has been faithful to us in a sense The root of Christianity is simply this. It's a fight to remember that God is good. Man, if we could just remember that God is good, wouldn't our lives be much better? Wouldn't our faith be consistently growing? Lord, you're good, you're good, you're good. And then you actually begin to interpret life through that lens versus like, God, you're bad and you don't know what you're doing. Then everything's falling apart. It's really a matter of perspective in many senses that we need to fight for faith because faithlessness leads to forgetfulness. (laughs) So the people are behaving badly. Well, that's par for the course, but Moses is behaving badly. Must have broke God's heart at this point. But here's the thing. Moses strikes the rock twice. I mean, Moses has flipped his lid. Moses, have you gone, done, lost your mind? What are you doing here? But here's the kicker. Gives them water anyway. People are complaining. The priest, the representative of Jesus in this book, is behaving badly. And what happens? God gives them water. This is a reminder that the Lord's provision for his people is ultimately gracious. That is, he doesn't give to us because we're worthy. He doesn't give to us because we deserve it. He gives to us because he is generous. The Lord provides for his people, not because they are good, but because he is. And that's the lesson of the water from the rock. The Lord is good, even when we're not, especially when we're not. The Lord remains good. And we need to burn that into our hearts all the time. What? Oh, I'm sorry. God is good and God is good all the time. He's always good. And we need to remember that. But I want you to notice one more thing about the Lord's provision here. Look at verse number 10. Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Look, look at the screen, will you? So that, what's the word? What's the word? Whoa, 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 wait, whoa, whoa. Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock. Okay, that is a blatant act of disobedience. Twice with the staff, so that, I mean, you don't have any conviction right now, folks. So that water gushed out. It gushed. And the community and their livestock drank. The Lord gives abundantly. This is who he is. He is not the good God of stinginess. He is not the God of meagerness. He is the God of abundant supply. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Luke chapter six, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. The Lord delights to give abundant grace to his people. But when our needs are great, This is a difficult concept to remember, is it not? Isn't that what happened just now? Lord, we're in the desert. We don't see no water here. I don't know how we're gonna get out of this jam, Lord. This need is great. Look, we're gonna die and our livestock are gonna die. You brought us to the very brink of the wilderness and there is no provision. They forgot that God is the God of abundance. When failure Is massive when the habit is frequent and enslaving when the relationship seems beyond repair when it looks like there is no hope for change when you don't know if you can believe God one more time it is then it is then that we must believe that God's provision is always greater than your need Every time. God's provision is always greater than your need. Why? Because He's the God of abundance. He didn't give them a trickle. The water gushed, and they all drank until they were filled. In fact, there's an allusion to the story in the New Testament that drives this principle home even further. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For they drank from the spiritual rock. So this is talking about the Israelites they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. In other words, the abundant provision of life-giving water in the wilderness was meant to point us to an even greater provision of life-giving abundance made by Christ for all who would trust in him. Friends, Jesus was the rock that was struck to provide abundant life to his people. Jesus was the rock that was struck to give you life-giving water that is enough. What's it say in John chapter 10, verse 10? I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus didn't come so you could get to heaven by the skin of your teeth. Jesus didn't come so you could limp through life hopeless and joyless. Jesus didn't come so that you would have just enough grace so that you would limp around and look like a person who doesn't have any strength in the Lord. Jesus didn't come just so you would have power over particular sins. Jesus came to give you life and life to its abundance. That's why he came. Now, I'm not talking about life being easy. Wandering in the wilderness was not easy, but God provided in the midst of the wilderness and his provision was enough. So here's my question to you this morning. Where do you need to see the Lord as your abundant provider? Is it overcoming a pattern of sin in your life? Anybody got patterns of sin in their life that they're like, I have been this way for 10 or 20 or 30 years. I'm probably never gonna change. Do you need to believe that God's grace is enough for that? Is it meeting you in an area of your weakness? Lord, I'm sick of this. I just keep sinning every time this comes up. Is it grace to respond to a difficult person? Is there someone in your life and you're like, God can never change them. Maybe you need abundance in that particular scenario. Here's what I wanna invite you to do right now. Maybe this is a little weird if you're a church going folk, but we're gonna stop the sermon right now. We're gonna play a little music and I wanna give you just a couple minutes right now. Why don't you talk to the Lord? I want to invite you to talk to the Lord and talk to the Lord about this. Lord, I need your abundant grace right here in my life. Not, don't be looking at somebody else. Where do you need to see the Lord's abundant grace in your life? Would you just have a conversation with the Lord right now? Father, we thank you that your grace is in abundant supply. Pray that you are our provider. I pray right now that folks would reach to you, that they would cling to you and trust that your grace is enough. Amen. The Lord wanted to not only show himself to his people as their abundant provider, but also as their available healer. After the water at the rock, Israel began their final journey to the conquest of the promised land. They defeated the Canaanite king of Arad, and then God's people once again grew weary of God's timeline. Numbers 21, verse number four. Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom, but the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water and we detest this wretched food. This time the Lord sends swift judgment on his people. Numbers 21, verse number six. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and they bit them so that many Israelites died. But in spite of this, In spite of the people's track record of complaints, God provides a means of mercy. Verse number eight. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on the pole. And whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake and he recovered. This is extraordinary. Even though the Israelites were suffering because of their own actions, the Lord once again extends kindness towards them. Let me make just two more brief observations about God's grace. The first thing is this, grace is conditional. Often you'll hear talk about the unconditional grace of God. And that's a completely accurate statement if you mean that God's grace is not reserved for any one type of person. Or if you mean that God's grace is, is, is not for people, for, only for people who are not too bad to receive it. But in another sense, God's grace is always conditioned by our response. That is, God does not distribute his grace willy-nilly. He does not give cleansing and enabling grace to anyone and everyone, but he gives it to those who turn to him. Look at the text once again, Numbers chapter 21, verse number 7. We have sinned. This is the people speaking. We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that the snakes, he will take the snakes away from us. In other words, listen to this principle. It's critical. God sends healing when we acknowledge our sickness. God sends healing when we acknowledge our sickness. And this is a repeated theme throughout scripture. 1 John chapter 1, verse number nine. If, if, there's a condition. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 32, verse number five. Then I acknowledged my sin before you. And did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression from the Lord. Okay, what happens when you meet those conditions and you forgave the guilt of my sin? Or Luke chapter 5, verse 31. It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And if you read the context, Jesus is actually saying those who know that they're sick. Those who acknowledge that they're sick. And then Christ says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And what does he call them to? To repentance, to turn away from that. And when we turn, what happens? We get grace. I think this is critical. I think this is so critical because it seems today there's a tendency to believe that God gives us grace regardless of the disposition of our heart. And friends, that's just not biblically true. I'm sorry, it's just not true. God does not just give grace willy-nilly. God gives grace to anyone and everyone who would ever turn to him. That's what the scripture teaches time and time again. Look, God always has his arms open and extended towards us, but we must turn to him if we're to receive that grace from him. We can't stiff arm the Lord. We can't fold our arms and say, I don't want anything to do with you and expect his grace. That is not the way the God of the Bible works. In fact, the most familiar verse in all of the scripture teaches that. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? John three sixteen. right? Here, here's what it says up on the screen. Look at it very carefully. The most familiar verse in the Bible teaches that God's grace is conditional. Here's what it says. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son, his one and only son. Now notice, so that everyone, what's it say? Who believes in him will not, have peri- will not perish, but will have eternal life. Does Christ's death save anyone who doesn't trust in him? The answer is no. Will it save anyone who will trust in him? Yes. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter how bad you've been. Doesn't matter your past. If you trust in the work of Christ, you will be saved. But if you don't, don't expect grace god's grace comes to us it flows through the channel of our faith and repentance in the work of christ so here's my question for you today and maybe it's a hard one are there areas in your life that are preventing you from receiving the grace of god functionally are you stiff arming god in some way are you holding on to a habit of sin Now there's a difference between struggling and holding on to, right? right. We can struggle with sin. We will all struggle with sin till we die. But there's a difference between struggling with something and fighting against something. I always illustrate it with sleep. Sleep in church. It's good. It's good for your soul. Here's the person who is struggling with sleep. Here's the person who is holding on to sleep. You're just not fighting. God knows we will struggle with sin and he will give us grace as long as there is a fight. But the minute we lay down our arms, brothers and sisters, let's not be so foolish to presume upon the grace of God if we confess our sins. You know what confess means? It means say the same thing about our sins that God says about our sins. When we say about our sins, what God says about our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know why some of you feel distant from God? Because you are. You can't consistently sin against a person and not seek restoration and forgiveness and still enjoy the same sweet fellowship. Any married folks know that? Why do we expect that differently from our relationship with God? Well, God will get over it. He's got the longest memory in the world, folks. And I'm not saying God is trying to hold things over our heads, but God invites us into a relationship with him, and that means that we turn away from our sins. Christians should be good repenters. We should just be consistently repenting and repenting and repenting and repenting. God, I need you again today. Here I am again. And you know what the answer is every time we say, Lord, I need you? It's always like, and here I am. Here I am, my child. I'm ready and willing to forgive you. I'm ready to embrace you, but you cannot be in right fellowship. I'm not talking about salvation, but I am talking about relationship right now. You cannot be in sweet communion with the Lord if we are hanging on to habits and areas in our life that do not please the Lord. (laughs) Let me urge you, I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now this morning to confess to the Lord and he will not just be a healer to you, he will be your healer. He will be your healer. I'm gonna close with this. Not only is grace conditional, but we also see, praise the Lord, that grace is available. (laughs) Even though the people's complaints are recorded about a dozen times in the book of Numbers, The Lord, once again, extends his grace to all who would turn on him. It's just like, man, if you would turn, you would have grace. And here's the thing. It's such a simple act. I mean, at this point in the journey, you're like, man, the Lord's got to like make them like clean up their act or something. Like prove themselves. Stop acting like this. Like do some sort of development plan and submit it to the Lord. Turn it in or something. But that's not what God does. He gives them a very simple act. Look at Numbers 21, verse number eight again. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole. And when anyone who is bitten at it looks at it, just look at it and he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. And whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. So if you feel like you are on your last leg, if you feel like you are too far gone, if you feel like you have done the same thing for the 10,000th time, if you feel like you are completely unlovable, if you feel like you don't have enough strength, if you feel like you are almost done, my friend, just look and live. You see, the story of the bronze serpent was never really about a bronze serpent but about a healer who can mend us in far greater ways. John chapter three, verse number 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Look, listen to me very carefully. When you look to Christ, every time you will find grace, just Look and live. I don't care how broken you are. I don't care how many times you have messed up. I don't care how enslaved you are. Look and live right now. Right now. It's as simple as that. It's, it's, right. it sounds so simple. It sounds too simple. That's why Christ had to come and go the distance we couldn't go. God doesn't expect us to come to him. So he came and got us. And the Son of Man was lifted up so that everyone, everyone, everyone who would look could live. And here's the beautiful irony of these accounts. In both cases, the Israelites sinned against God, and they were saved by that same God. They complained against the Lord, and the Lord gives them water from the rock. They are bitten by serpents sent by God, and God sends them a bronze serpent to save his people. To put it plainly, the God we sin against is also the God who saves. From start to finish, our salvation and our relationship, our reconciliation with God is purchased by God. And today, Once again, Christ is inviting you to experience his grace right now. This morning, we're actually gonna celebrate the Lord's table. And I can think of no better way to not just know about God, but to know God. Because he is inviting you. He is inviting all of us into a relationship with him. So if you have believed this beautiful message that all who turn from their sins and simply look And live. We want to invite you this morning to partake of the Lord's table with us. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it a little bit non-traditionally this morning. We've talked about a whole ton of stuff this morning. And I want to invite the prayer team, kind of move to the walls right now. And, and, And I want to encourage you to pray about two things this morning. Two things before we take the Lord's table together. The first one is this. Is there some area in your heart that you are holding back from the Lord? Pattern of sin, a broken relationship, thought process, some area in your life and you're like, Lord, have all of me except this part. This is my little pet sin. Don't touch him. I will keep him close to my heart. Would you just let that go today? Would you turn that over to Jesus today? He wants to receive it. And all you gotta do is turn and look and live. So I wanna encourage you to confess this morning. Second thing I wanna encourage you to pray about is this. You know, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter three, verse number 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Would you just pray that this morning? Lord, I wanna know you. I don't wanna know about you. I wanna know you. Help me not to complain against this pandemic. Help me not to waste this upside down world right now. Because perhaps you have brought me into this place because you wanna reveal yourself freshly. You wanna go from being a provider to my provider. You wanna go from being a healer to being my healer. You wanna go from being a God to my God. You wanna be going from a Savior to my Savior. Let's not waste this. This is an opportunity for us to run to the Lord and experience him freshly today. So will you do that? Will you confess? And will you call on the Lord and say, I wanna know you. And these folks standing around the room right now, man, they would love to pray with you. If you'd like to pray with somebody, they would be happy to just take a few minutes and pray with you. And here's what we're gonna do. Jalen's gonna quietly sing for us. Feel free to join in and sing. Feel free to pray. I do wanna invite you, if you haven't already picked up uh, the bread and the cup, they're right there in the back. Grab those during this quiet time of reflection and then we'll come together and take the Lord's table together, amen? So let me pray and then you just feel free to move as you feel like the Lord is leading you. Father, we wanna know you. Oh God, we wanna know you. I pray for some people in here right now, Lord, I don't even know who it is, Lord, but are there folks in here that to them, the savior looks silly and sin looks beautiful. I pray even now, right now in this moment, you would break them of that, that they would confess their sin to you and receive the grace that is so readily available. Oh Lord, I pray for those who are trying to walk in obedience and faithfulness to you, Lord, I pray you would push us into deeper relationship with you. We want to know your power in our lives. We want to know your closeness. Lord, we don't want you to be just a set of facts. We want you to be our God. Draw near to your people right now. In Christ, I pray. Amen. You move as you feel the Spirit leading.